2: Bismillah we can get started. If all participants can turn on their video. Bismillah inshallah we can begin. if you can please start. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, Assalamu my name is Mu'tasim. And welcome to our live Deen One podcast, our first live one. Uh, inshallah we'll, discu- we'll discuss um, concerns about the coronavirus and uh, the Islamic perspective on dealing with it, our podcast is run by the youth and for the youth. Uh, If this is your first time uh, joining us, or if you just want to learn more about us, you could visit our website at www.dean1.com. I'm here with my brothers, uh, Hayan. Hayan is a third-year mechanical engineering student at uh, Central Michigan University, and Uh, my two fellow UIC students, uh, Hudayfa and Madik. Uh, Madik is a first year bioengineering student at UIC and Hudayfa is a pre-medicine student at UIC. Um, I'm also joined by Dr. Jaleel Abdeladil. Dr. Jaleel is a professor of clinical psychology who works with youth and he will be providing a brief summary at the end of our podcast inshallah um to our viewers throughout the podcast feel free to ask any questions um in the comment section and inshallah we'll answer some of them towards the end uh dr jade will be joining us towards the end of the video to give a brief uh summary and uh to give his uh two cents about what he wants to say inshallah assalamu alaikum guys how you guys doing (laughs) (laughs) how are you alhamdulillah i'm doing good uh, okay, so if anyone ever listened to a Dean one podcast, uh, you'll probably recognize that Matic is a new member. But so we'll go ahead and start off with Matic. And, you know, Madik, uh what I want to ask you is that, um, you know, this whole coronavirus situation in the past couple months, we've all learned that it could be very dangerous um, to people that come into contact with it. And um, in some cases, uh, people could even die from it. So when we hear that uh, someone has caught the virus, it could be a friend, uh, someone close to us, or even a stranger. What should our attitude be towards that?
3: Okay, so obviously before we tackle any problem or any situation, we have to realize that as a muslim we need to, whatever action that we do we need to go back to islam and figure out the basis of it based off islam so in regards to, in regards to the situation we understand that one that life and death is from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and likewise illness and diseases are also from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and these are just like facts that we just can't escape from it's the reality that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed for us so the what we need to understand from this circumstance like this pandemic the coronavirus that's happening around the world is that what's our responsibility are we responsible for how it happened are we responsible for, for responsible for how to deal with the situation because honestly these are tests from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and these are can be li- these are can be linked to either punishments or rewards or even removal of our sins there's a hadith where uh, where Muhammad says, "No fatigue, nor disease, nor sorrow, nor sadness, nor hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim, even if were the prick he receives from a thorn." But then Allah expiates some from his some of his sins for that. Sahih al-Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari number five thousand six hundred forty-one and five thousand six hundred forty-two. So at the end of the day, in this hadith, it's saying that. Any pain or any distress or any problems that may happen to you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is going to alleviate your sins, remove your sins. So this is, this is also a, basically a matter of Iman. We need to recognize that we're going to face tragedies and death will befall us. Just like the Prophet وسلم, when he cried over the death of his son Abdullah and the passing of his beloved wife Khadija and the loss of his beloved companions in battle. So we need to accept these realities when they arise. And the, but the question that we need to focus on is actually, what's our responsibility? Like, how do I protect my family, the community? How do I even protect myself from this virus? In addition to that, we are the future leaders? We should be asking, like, has there been negle- any neglect on our responsibilities to manage this? Were we neglecting to try to take care of the elderly and help them with treatment? Is there something that we could be doing? Is there, uh, are we not actually taking advantage of the situation to get hasanat so we can better our place in Jannah? We need to focus on these circumstances. And the focus shouldn't be just to blame the coronavirus. Like, oh no, because of the coronavirus, uh, I, my senior year of high school is ruined. Oh yeah, my first year in college, I can't do what anything I want. Oh yeah, I'm stuck, I can't meet my friends. No, rather we should take this situation as an opportunity for us to better ourselves and for, look, go look for solutions from Islam because Islam has comprehensive solutions of ruling economics, social systems for pandemics and for any other problems that we face.
2: Sure, and you know some of the points that you mentioned uh, It reminded me of an ayah in the Quran Surah al Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala does not burden A soul beyond that uh, Beyond that which it could bear So, you know, when we think about Some of the things that we're all going through Whether it be, you know, some of us may have been laid off of work Or we're at home from school Or we're, you know, quarantined in our houses um, You know, number one I feel like we, got, we all got to recognize that We could all do this, you know it might, it's hard for a lot of us, but at the end of the day, uh, we're one getting-
4: thing. Hey, one thing I do want to bring up. I, you know, I'm glad you bring up this quarantine thing, um, but yeah. we should always think about what our brothers and sisters across the world are going through. You know, it's much. They have it much harder, especially you know. Think about this. Think about Kashmir. You know, they're on complete lockdown through the through most of their lives. You know, every single portion of their life is being controlled. and They can barely leave their homes. Just outside, you know, they've got security guys. Alhamdulillah you know, it's not like that for us, you know, but however, you know, this quarantine is a huge throw off for us. You know, it's also a reminder that our brothers and sisters are going through something on a much larger scale. So it's important to keep that in mind.
0: I'm glad you brought that up though. Yeah, for sure. And just to add on to that, just a little bit more, what you said is really important. However, you know, I feel that we, the youth, we come to these types of realizations when we're put in difficulties ourselves and it shouldn't be that way, you know, um, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that, you know, we're where uh, the ummah it's like one body and when one part, one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts, right? So it shouldn't be just in the times of difficulties that remember them. We should remember that at all times, you know, at times of ease and difficulty. Because, you know, the Muslim ummah has been suffering for long and we're part of this and we need to hold, like we need to be held accountable for this. Exactly, okay.
2: Yeah, both of you guys do mention really good points and there's so many things that we could, you know, look at. Um, for example, a lot of people might be suffering from food shortages. And you know, if you think about the big picture, how many people all around the world, especially in the Muslim world, are suffering from these type of things day in and day out? You know, so Hayan, uh, I really like the point you, that you mentioned. Uh, we should be thinking about things, these things, in times of ease and in times of difficulty. So, uh, inshallah, we could all do that. Uh, I want to transition to a second uh, point, and Hadeefa, uh, you did mention that. Um, uh, or Malik, sorry i didn't mention that as muslims uh in times of le- in times like this we do have uh, certain responsibilities and uh, we should be doing certain things so for uh what do you say about that what kind of things should we be doing in a time like this
4: sure um thank you Matasim. um so i want to break this answer up into into three different three different categories if you will um so the first one is a little more practical on what we should be doing um, these little things we need to make sure we're fulfilling to um, limit the spread of our virus. Cause you know, that, that's, a, that's a huge priority right now. You know, CDC, WHO, uh, all the medical experts they recommend to us um, these little things such as you know, staying at home. That's the whole point of this quarantine. Um, you know, um, washing your hands, soap and water uh, making sure you're not touching your face and wiping down commonly touched surfaces. You know, these, these are just the little things that in the long run, it's helping alleviate that virus. And I'm sure the term you guys have heard of is um, uh, flattening the curve. Right, um, you know, we, we want to limit that that um, that stress for all the healthcare officials in a, in our country, and all these little things that's that's gonna help help do that. And as as individuals, a part of a larger community, we need to make sure we're all fulfilling all of that. And the second part that I want to bring up is that this is a very huge time of crisis for us. You know, a lot of us we have, we've never faced anything anything even similar to this. Um, so this is a this is a huge reminder that this whole life is a test, and all these little tests thrown at us in this larger life, this, this is to, to remind us of, of, of the Akira. You know, sometimes we, we get caught up, caught up in our daily, in our daily lives, we're, we're busy, we have school, we have our jobs, but th- this time of stress, it reminds us that, you know, this, this whole life is a test, we have to protect ourselves from the hellfire. The, question, the important question to ask is, you know, we're shifting our behavior to, um, to protect ourselves from the virus, did we shift our behavior to protect ourselves from the hellfire? I'm sure that, 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 that kind of triggers something in your head. Um, and the last thing I want to bring up, you know, we've got, we, all of us, we have all this free time. You know, we're, we're home from school. Uh, some of us, we don't have a job. We, we don't have any work anymore. Um, you know, this is a huge reminder. Um, this is a, And a huge opportunity to spend time with our families, connect back to Islam. Um, we, can, we understand our roles as Muslims in the household, um, we, this, this is a huge um, opportunity to discuss and build that Islamic atmosphere that sometimes gets lost, um, lost in our busy lives and inshallah we, we can take away something important from this about how to spend our time wisely.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, taking that responsibility uh, on ourselves and putting responsibility on ourselves to make sure that we do things to limit the spread of the virus. Uh, So that's a really uh, important point that you mentioned and you know I do feel like a lot of us have been listening to this uh, advice properly, you know, a lot of people um, have been staying at home, you don't really see a lot of people rebelling and going outside and uh, you know putting themselves and others in risk so uh, this is definitely something that I feel like um, us as individuals and just society in general is doing uh, properly. But one thing that I do notice and that I did notice, especially when uh, this whole coronavirus epidemic started to get uh, really serious or pandemic started to get really serious uh, was when um, this came around, uh, There's a lot of governments that didn't warn the people properly. So there were some governments that, um, you know, didn't tell the people the truth or there were some people, government officials that told people that, oh, it's not gonna be a big deal or we have a cure coming soon. So, there wasn't enough warning given to the people uh, properly. So, again, one thing that I want to ask you is that, Mm -hmm. as Muslims from an Islamic perspective, how would this have been dealt under uh, Islamic system of governance? Meaning, at the time of Rasulullah if this were to happen, uh, how would they deal with it? Or, uh, at the time of one of the khulafa, how would they deal with it?
0: All right. Bismillahir Rahmanir salatu Wassalatu salamu ala That's a really important point you're making here because um, what you're saying is right. We've felt neglected, you know, in a way. And to understand this, you know, um, uh, one thing that comes to my mind right away is the hadith of the Prophet when he says, ra'in wa So this translates to that each one of you is a shepherd and you're responsible for your flock. Now, this hadith is very important in understanding, you know, our responsibilities. What is the Prophet saying? He's saying that us as Muslims, we all have some roles, some duties that we have to fulfill, some, um, some burdens that we have to fulfill in order to be successful. And to understand this further, we can break this into three different levels. And um, for the first level of responsibility, we can talk about the individual or the family responsibility. What I mean by this is that you make sure that you follow um, the guidance that Islam has given you in regards to this you know in regards to staying um clean remaining pure uh your hygiene and everything and how to deal with people in these types of situations you know not hoarding and treating your um, family members and uh your neighbors and all of them with respect you know being there for them so applying this within yourself is a very important step you know one thing i want to say is that um a lot of us the youth you know we think that we're protected from this virus which may be true to an extent, you know, maybe it's not gonna um, hurt us as much, you know, but we can still carry this virus. And that's really important for us to understand because we can pass it on to people that will be more seriously affected by it. What I mean is like, you know, the elderly people, the babies, people that have other other types of diseases, you know, they can die from this type of stuff, you know, and it's really important for us to understand this because it's a responsibility on us to be able to contain this and take the proper measures that Islam is giving us, take the proper measures that our medical experts are giving us just so we can contain this and come out of this you know, in a better situation. That's the first level of responsibility. The second level of responsibility is at the societal level. You know, we live in a community with lots of people around us and you know, this pandemic is affecting everyone from you know, uh, the rich to the poor, everyone's being affected by it and the elderly and the young. And we have to make sure that once we've taken care of our first responsibility, we make sure that we are there for our neighbors, for our community members, make sure that you know nobody's getting left behind. A lot of people, you know, they're running out of food. They don't have milk, water. They run out of groceries. They don't have, you know, the proper uh, medical um, equipment or the medical means. So we have to make sure that you know we are there for them. And because Islam stresses on this, you know, this hadith is a, it's from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and it's advice for us. You know, it's not meant to be taken lightly. And the final aspect of responsibility that I want to get on is something that you were saying, you know, at the end of your question, is the neglect from the government that we're seeing. And this is because, you know, there is no sort of pressure from a higher authority, which is Allah Azawajal. You know, none of our leaders today, they have that sense of responsibility. In Islam, you know, the ruler, whoever it is, he has a responsibility on them because the hadith, it continues and it says that the ruler is responsible for his affairs. So he has to make sure that he's acting justly for the people. He's providing them with everything that need that they need, whether it's, you know, proper testing kits or making sure that um, there's enough health care for everyone or making sure that people, the goods are being distributed and not being hoarded by some individual. And this is something um, that Islam stresses upon, you know, it's an obligation on all of us, you know, from, from individuals to all the way to the leaders. And you asked, you know, did this ever happen in the time of the Prophet? Well, it, not exactly, but he still gave his advice when he said that if you hear of an outbreak of a plague in a land, do not enter it. But if the plague breaks out in a place while you're in it, do not leave it. Now, like I said, it didn't happen during the time of the Prophet. However, when Umar anhu, when he was the Khalifa in the area of Palestine, there was a plague. And he, he acted upon this, you know, hadith that the Prophet, وسلم, said he took it as a shar'i hukam and he took proper actions to make sure that, you know, this pandemic is dealt with properly. And I hope that helps in, uh, for our viewers to understand this subject a little bit better.
2: JazakAllah <laughs> khair. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is making sure that those around us are taken care of. And, um, you know, as we're, here, as we're in our houses and we're quarantined, the people around us are our neighbors, right? And, you know, if we think about the amount of times that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi advised us, to um, take care of our neighbors, ask if they're okay, and to make sure that they don't go to sleep hungry and all this kind of stuff. You know, I know here in the West, relationships with neighbors is not the same as it is back home. You know, like where I'm from, a lot of the times, most of the time, actually, you know your neighbor, you know their mom, their dad, their kids. It's very intimate relationship, you know? But over here, the most where I go is, you know, you might see your neighbor going to work, going to school or coming back. You might say, hi, bye how are you? But, you know, um, we should, all of us as Muslims, feel some type of responsibility to make sure that our neighbors are doing okay, especially those that are uh, sick or elderly, just asking them, you know, um, do you guys need anything? Is everything going all right? Um, So, you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of different Muslim youth groups, uh, both here and abroad that are taking those types of responsibilities upon themselves. So we ask Allah to Uh, increase them in uh, reward and to I mean I mean I also mean
3: I want to say is that uh, a lot of people in our community like you were saying they might not be well off and it's actually really important I just want to emphasize this one more time that we need to help the people that are in community whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim because this is a very important point because like if you're if you're not capable, if you know that other people aren't capable, even if like you don't know them that well, even if they're not Muslim, you should still put in the effort. You should still it's part of the responsibility. Like I was saying in the beginning, that you have to go like you have to go help them as a Muslim.
2: Um, I'm gonna we're gonna transition to our second segment of our uh, podcast. Um, but before I do that, um, I just want to remind any of our viewers if anyone joined a little late to. Uh, subscribe and if you guys want to learn more about us, go ahead and uh, go ahead and uh, go to our website at www.d1.com and share this live podcast with others. Inshallah, so we can all get a piece of the reward. The yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, so our second segment, Inshallah, so it to be a little bit more open. Um, and you know, at least for me, um, now that I'm at home and um, now that. I don't know, I don't have the same structure to my day as it was before, you know? Uh, before, when I was going to school, I had a time when I would wake up, a time when I would go to class, study, go to work. Um, it was very structured. But now that I'm at home, you know, I don't have that same structure. <clears throat> a lot of time on my hands. So I might be doing things that um, <clears throat> are not productive. Uh, but, like, I'll play, I play foul duty a lot with Kayan. So, you know, uh, we might stay late sometimes. So um just what are some things that we could do to make sure that we spend our time like more productively? what do you guys say
0: right no i definitely agree with you man like this abundance of time that we have all of a sudden is it drives you crazy in a way because like like you were saying you know we were we had our lives we had our strict routines every day wake up go to school and stuff but now it's just this so much time and you're like left with i don't know what to do with and it's easy to waste it you know i'm a victim of that myself but, um, like you say, you know, playing Call of Duty, spending those long hours on TikTok and stuff. But, you know, one thing that I've tried to do, you know, because we understand that, you know, we have a purpose in this life. It's okay to have fun, play games and stuff. But at the end of the day, like Hodefa was saying, you know, we have to prepare ourselves for the day of judgment. You know, we have to prepare ourselves for when we meet Allah Jalla. That day is coming. It's coming soon. And one thing that I've tried to, you know, do for myself to help myself, you know, get closer to Allah, understand, you know, Islam a little bit more, is i tried to listen to, you know, more Tafsir, or read more Tafsir. And like, for example, you know, I've been listening to the Tafsir of Surah Fatiha. You know, we read the Surah Fatiha 17 times a day. You know, that's like the minimum that we have to read it. And then, you know, the Sunnah after that, whatever. But do we really understand what we're saying, you know? Like, the translation is one thing, but especially for the non, you know, non Arabic uh, speakers, it's really, these, these words are really important. This encapsulates our whole Islam in these few verses, you know? It's a whole that we, everything emanates from this. And we have to understand that I, that's just something that I've been doing that's been really beneficial for me. Other than that, just keep myself busy, you know? I've tried new hobbies like painting and stuff, but I'm sure the other guys can also pitch in and <laughs> share their contributions.
4: No, no, thank, thank you for bringing the part about always remembering our deen, you know? That's, that's what we have to prioritize. One thing I wanna make sure you guys are all doing, um, Keeping your physical health in check too. You know, it's really easy to just become lazy at home. Uh, so just take out thirty minutes to an hour a day, do do some active active activity. And you know, I I like to bike, I like to jump rope, just to keep your body healthy. Because you know, when your body's healthy, your mind's healthy. Yes,
2: man. I'll leave you with that. they well, was a gym rat of the group, so he sends snaps to everyone at like five a.m. in the morning at the gym. So exactly. Okay. What about you? And just, and
3: just yeah, just in general, like. The- it's good to keep make make yourself your like make a schedule for yourself, like even yeah. instead of waking up at twelve o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, wake up like, set a time that you want to wake up by, let's say 9, 10. and then w- then go set a time that you want to go to sleep by, and make sure that you have like a schedule planned out for yourself, some time for you like how they was saying physical activity, and then some time for your dean, and some time for better yourself. Try to learn new things. Just make sure that you have something that you want to get done throughout that day, and that's gonna keep you lively. That's gonna keep you. Focus on that and actually take advantage of the situation that we're in
2: right now. Yeah, I think all those points are good. Inshallah, we get all implemented in our lives. And before we get to uh, Dr. Jalil, uh, some of us have been waiting for him. I have one more question for Hayan. And this is a bit of a packed question. But, uh, you know, like whenever we experience some type of disruption in our everyday lives, especially in this country, we, we see that people suffer from it. So, for instance, uh, this virus. Um, uh, this virus that we're dealing with right now, countless people have been laid off of work, um, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of these people that have been laid off, um, you know, don't have the resources to live their day, live their lives like how they used to live their lives. Uh, so you know, they need that money to buy food for their family or to pay off bills or to pay off medical expenses. So you know, what we see that whenever something big happens um, that disrupts our everyday life, the working class. We're we're always the ones that suffer from it, and you know the rich lay back, uh, watching and sitting with their on their billions of dollars. So, and this is kind of an open question for anybody. Um, for your Hudaifah. Uh can can you elaborate? Uh, sure. On yeah,
4: yeah, I, I like to take this part. Um, so one thing that this virus has clearly, clear, very clearly shown is that capitalism is failing us. Um, the wealthy are par- completely prioritized. you know, just last, uh, just this week, actually the billion dollar bailout for wall street, uh, you know, and then what did, what did the, what did the average working class get a mere $1,200 check, a one-time check. What's that going to do for you? What's that going to do for your family? Um, that, 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 com- that cannot support, um, a, a family's rent of food supply, just, just the basic necessities for to survive. I mean, like it can't support that. And just, just this little bill, it shows us how uneven this, this capitalistic system is. Um, you know, um, it just in Illinois, um, this the, actually the, the unemployment, um, what do you call it? The, the application for it, it crashed the other day because so many people came on it at the same time. You know, it's just another example. Yeah, over 65,000
0: people.
4: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, it's just showing us how, how desperate the, 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 the need for the an alternate system is. Um, you know, the capitalism, what is it, what does it prioritize? It prioritizes production, prioritizes profit, not the people. Um, you know, um, the privilege. they're relaxed. But what does the average, uh, average um, working class do? You know, we're kind of left hopeless. You know, that's what I have to offer.
2: Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, I'll play devil's advocate here, um, a lot of people just say that, listen, this is the life that we're living. This is the world that we're born into. We can't really do anything about it. Should we accept this or are there ultimate solutions for us, I am.
0: Um, yeah, I'll answer that question, but I just want to add a little bit to what Hodaifa said, right? He made some really good points, but um, one thing I just want to add is that a lot of people that are being laid off, right, they're, they've got nothing to do. But the people that are not, that are not being laid off, the system, the, you know, the big corporate uh, corporations, the owners of the, all these companies, they're still making their people come in to work. Because, you know, they can't suffer from a loss of money. They still want their money. You know, they still want their production to go up. So they're going to force their people to come into work. And they're going to, you know, the, the people that have to come into work, they don't really have a choice, you know, what do, they're exposed to the virus, but now what, you know, they still have to get money to provide food for their family at the table, right? And that's just a point I wanted to make to show you, like, just emphasize on what they are saying, you know, there's clear winners in capitalism and clear losers. And, you know, the, the majority of it are losing and we need to realize this. And what you're saying, you know, once we realize this, is there an alternative that we have? Are there, you know, is there an escape from this madness? And, you know, lots of people will propose, you know, um, they'll say, you know, things like maybe it's just Trump that's the problem. Maybe if we like Clinton or Sanders, you know, this will be a little bit different. And maybe, you know, maybe you're right, maybe things would be a little bit different, but it's still going to be flawed. You know, no matter who we look back in our history, there were always problems, whether it was COVID-19 or something else, there was always problems. And, you know, a lot of the times it's the working class, it's the poor people that are left behind, you know, the people of color that are left behind. And um, people that are, you know, sick and tired of capitalism, it's not just, you know, us, like a lot of the world is complaining right now about unfair and uneven it is. And these people are calling out towards, you know, different solutions, like I just said, and some of it seem to be like socialism or communism. And what I want to say about this is you know, let's reflect on something real quick. Let's reflect, you know, we're Muslims, right? We believe in the Quran. We believe in what Allah Azza wa revealed to us. What did he reveal? He says in Surah Yusuf, Ayah 40, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, inul Hukmu illa lillah. This translates to the legislation, the hukum the rule, it belongs only to Allah. And in this ayah, when it says illa lillah, it's emphasizing that it can belong to nobody else. It cannot belong not even 1% to someone else, not to Trump, not to America, not to the Congress, not to anybody else. It only belongs to Allah alone. And we need to really you know, ponder upon this and understand this because this is a very simple ayah, but it's a very important point. Because all these other ideologies that are coming up, whether socialism, communism, they're all man-made. That's what we need to realize. You know. Paul Marx or someone else, you know, they wrote these things from their own mind, from their own intellect, and because of this, because they come from the human mind, they're always going to be flawed, and they're bound to fail at some point. Some of them, we've seen them, you know, collapse in the past. Some of them, we're seeing, we're, we see them fail in front of our very own eyes today. Some of them will see, you know, they'll fail us in the future, or some they'll fail us on the Day of Judgment. But that's like, that's what it's supposed to be, you know, it's from the human mind. Of course, it's not going to be able to understand every single thing, it's not going to be able to predict everything. The only thing, the only system that can, you know, understand everything is a system that Allah Azzawajal sent to us, and that's the system of Islam. It's a system that is from the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's the system that was revealed in the Quran and the Sunnah, and it's a fard on ourselves to educate ourselves on this because we don't understand this is part of our deen we need to understand this we can't just you know pray and fast and forget about this part of the deen this is also an ayah you know Allah says in the Quran in another part do you believe in part of the scripture and disbelieve in part of it no we take Islam as a whole and it brings a whole system for us and we have to educate ourselves like I said on this so that we can further you know spread this uh, spread spread this topic, spread this knowledge. And that's the dawah that we have to do just like Muhammad did 1400 years ago. And just one last thing I wanna touch on upon is that a lot of people, you know, they're seeing this capitalism fail. And one aspect of um, this is that we're seeing the economy, it's going to crap, right? It's uh, about to crash. It's about to see the worst crash it's ever seen, you know, in a a long amount of time. And I mean, like I said, what do you expect from something that's man-made, right? We need, to, we need to get something that is from our creator. And Islam does present an Islamic economic system. And inshallah, we can further talk about this.
2: Yeah, Hayan, you do mention that uh, Islam has the ability to fix all the economic uh, solutions and provide the economic system for people to operate within. But, you know, to be honest, this isn't something that we really hear in school, um, in our Saturday schools, um, you know, at least for me, I have to, we don't really learn about this type of stuff. So, uh, Malik, uh, we'll, we'll involve you with this and then we can get to Dr. Jaleel, inshallah. But Malik, um, how could Islam fix a solution? We, we, went, we went over that Islam has the ability to fix a solution, but how can it fix a solution?
3: Well, I want to start off with uh, what Hayyan, initially left us, left us with is that Islam, the Islam system itself is very unique because it's from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala. And we actually need to learn the subject of the economic system. The system of Islam and Because it's important and we're going to benefit from this And we're like you said, we're not really taught about this So, and there's an ayah Where Allah SWT says Do you believe in part of the scripture and believe in another part of it So do we uh, We go, we do salah, we do the five pillars of Islam We do all the other things But why don't we try to learn And try to execute what Allah Taala told us about the economic system about the, About the political system All this, why don't we try to Become, why don't you try to learn more about it? So it's really important, and this can be a very lengthy discussion, but I still want to, I just want to leave with four principles for the economic system, which are derived from the Quran, Quranic ayahs. So the first uh, principle that I want to talk about is that all the wealth belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and give them of the wealth of Allah which He has given you, Surah An-Nur, ayah 33. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created everything and it belongs to him as allah wa ta'ala said and give them of the wealth so if allah wa ta'ala owns all the wealth in this world all the resources in this world that means he can dictate what's what's how it's supposed to be used who it belongs to and allah wa ta'ala said give them the wealth of allah which he has given you so that means we need a, it doesn't mean that, that means the wealth that allah gave us these resources it's not supposed to be only given to a few people and people shouldn't monopolize everything it should be given to everyone it should be p- given to everyone. And the second principle is that the, the community is a trustee of the wealth. Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, and give them of the wealth of Allah, which he has given you. I mean, uh, believe in Allah and his messenger and spend whereof he has made you heirs. Surah Al-Hadid, ayah number seven. So that means Allah wa ta'ala, we have to hold each other accountable. And the ummah has this response. Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, whoever believes in Allah and his messenger, spend whereof he made you his heirs. So that means we need to pay and we need to spend for our ummah. And and there's a hadith where it says, The people are partners in three things, water, pastures, and fire. And basically, water is pretty simple. Water means that the rivers and lakes, which means that they can't be owned and they should be given to everyone. The whole ummah should have access to water, which as we can see, isn't happening nowadays. The second part about pastures, land. So just land in general, anything, any, any the land, the Muslimic land, it should be given to anyone. It shouldn't be restricted to anyone. Which as we can see nowadays, the land is restricted to a lot of people. And then the last part is fire. Fire here means energy, and we see, in obviously, oil reserves of energy, and we see all the all the reserves are what owned by private corporations. They're not given to everyone. There's prices are super high. Not everyone can have access to this energy. Uh, so, now the third principle is the hoarding of wealth is prohibited. Allah SWT said, and those who hoard up gold and silver and spend not in the way of Allah, announce to them a painful ch- chastisement. Surah Tawbah, Ayah 34. So, Allah SWT says, who hoard up gold and silver, so money, resources, and spend not in the way of Allah, SWT, we need to tell them a painful, a painful punishment in the hereafter. So, does that mean? That means whatever wealth that we may have, we're not allowed to hoard it. We can't just keep it with us. And it's not and I'm not saying it's wrong to have wealth, to have a lot of money. For example, we have Uthman radiallahu and who had a lot of money. He was very wealthy, but what he used it for the sake of the, the Ummah. Whenever Muhammad sallam, needed anything, or whenever he was called upon to do his duties, or even when he just like he felt generous and he wanted to give the money, he would always support the Ummah. He didn't hoard it. He kept on giving it to the others. So now my the last principle that I want to talk about is the circulation of wealth is a duty. Allah Taala says, whatsoever Allah may restore unto his messenger is due unto Allah and unto his messenger and the orphans and the needy so that it may not be confined to the rich amongst you. Surah al hashr ayah number seven. So this is the, the difference between the capitalism where they focus on this production. Because here is, is Allah is saying that the wealth sh- should be circulated amongst the ummah. It shouldn't be only be focused on trying to get people, keep people getting richer and richer and other people getting poorer and poorer and that wealth isn't being distributed. And Islam basically will distribute and circulate this wealth. It's a duty upon the Islamic ummah. And that's all.
2: JazakAllah <laughs> khair Barak. And JazakAllah uh, for everybody else uh, for your contribution. Uh, lastly, we'll have, uh, Dr. Jalil uh, to, to summarize our points and, uh, give a couple of his points as well. Uh, if any of you guys join a bit late, Dr. Jalil is a professor of clinical psychology and he works with youth and young adults. Uh, if you could, Dr. Jalil, can you conclude with some key take-home points for our panel discussion? Oh,
1: oh. As salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa well, alaykum as wa rahmatullahi wa
4: barakatuh.
1: Jazakallah khair for inviting me to come along. And alhamdulillah, you know, you have the, the older people are the only ones who don't remember to hit mute uh, so they can unmute themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Jazakallah khair for sponsoring this event. I really want to address some things to us as adults and us as parents who are supporting our youth and young adults who are doing this. Uh, first of all, I wanna commend them that they're acting like men, uh, not like kids, not even like teenagers, but like men. And this is the way it should be, and this is what's expected when youth really take on the mantle of Islam. Uh, they're not playing video games, wasting time doing it at least all day, right? Um, they're not complaining that they're bored. They're taking their time and using this time to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their mission to not only the Muslim Ummah, but to all humanity. That's why this has a global perspective of what's being discussed here. And so these are examples of what young people can do when they're connected to Islam and they're seeking the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala that they're expected to be leaders, they're expected to be men. And alhamdulillah, we're getting an opportunity to see that in action today. And that's something all of our parents, um, all of our community members and elders, we should expect them not to act like kids, not to act like teenagers, but really to act like men, young men, young women. We have the strength to carry this banner of Islam to the whole world, which brings me to point number two. And this is a little bit of a difficult point for us who are older, but I wanna say it clearly. We have to allow ourselves to be humble enough to learn from our youth. I wanna say that again. We have to, as elders, learn from our youth. They're being exposed to living experiences and situations growing up here in the United States that many of us have either never experienced because we didn't grow up here, or we've grown up here, but we grew up here in a different era. So we have to listen to what our youth are saying. We have to learn from what our youth are saying. We have to encourage our youth to join hands with us to raise this banner of Islam, not just because there's a corona uh, uh, crisis, but joining hands like now and later not only when the masjids are closed, but when the masjids are open, that we really embrace them and clear a space for their voice, their ideas, yes, even their mistakes, because we working together with our youth is the only way the Ummah as a whole will mobilize all these valuable resources that we have. And the other thing that I wanna commend them on this point is these youth today, and really none of us today, we haven't lived under Islam, we haven't been taught properly about Islam as an Ummah, all of Islam is a comprehensive system, but even though we haven't lived under it, we haven't learned it properly, we still love Islam. And it's love of Islam and trying to please Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is what's driving this type of event for these youth and young adults to take their time to, to um, organize these types of uh, events that can raise awareness and mobilize resources and inshallah, even inspire other young people and young adults to be able to move forward and grab this banner of Islam and let's carry it here during but beyond the crisis. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we as an Ummah embrace their lived experiences, embrace their opinions, embrace things that may be difficult for us, whether it's coming onto a YouTube live uh, event or whatever it may be that we can connect to our youth and mobilize them as we mobilize us properly as an Ummah. The third thing I'd like to say, and this is my last comment, is that as young people, as an Ummah, For those of us who are Muslims inside the United States, but are also connected to the global Ummah as one brotherhood, one sisterhood, we need to challenge all of us to be leaders for humanity. Now, we love to see our youth taking leadership positions, being outspoken, carrying the dawah. Our youth are continuing the tradition, which has happened before, where they can not only speak a word of truth to a tyrant, but they can even lead an army like the Companions during the time of Rasulullah and some of the greatest scholars, some of the greatest activists. These have been youth and young people, just like many of the Companions were young, okay? So it's an opportunity for the youth to take their rightful role and the elders, us, us parents, us community members who are older, who may be grandparents, who may have never had children, but were older. We have to also work with them to accept this leadership as well. We can't use the excuse like, well, we'll let the youth take care of it or the next generation, or reach the goal. It's like, no, we have to be like Abu Bakr As siddiq radiallahu anhu. Old man trying to get ready to lead jihad, organizing the affairs of the Muslims. This is something that we really have to embrace as a Muslim community across the lifespan, across all the ages, across wherever we may be living in, in the West, East, or wherever around the Muslim world. And inshallah, we hope that this will be a time for us to learn and to organize our resources. Learning how to do a live webcast. Learning how to attend the live webcast learn how to shift our Dawah to online platforms so we can then continue when we have in-person and online platforms. Those are important things for us to do. So we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to help us do those three things. One, we need to make sure we encourage our youth and embrace our youth who are acting like men and women, even at this young age. Secondly, we need to make sure we listen and we learn from our youth just like we want them to learn from us and third, we need to challenge each other to be leaders for humanity as Muslims inside the U.S. who still want to be part of an international movement to raise this flag of Islam. So, la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that can be something that's a leadership and a light for all of humanity for all time, inshallah, until Yawm al-Qayyamah. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. Inshallah,
2: Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us all of the... Uh, he gives us the strength for all of us to be leaders and to give Amen. I mean, um, I mean, it's no. uh, before we end this off, uh, we have some questions, but before we get to the questions, uh, does anybody else have anything to add, uh, to this live
0: podcast? Yeah. If, is it okay if I say something real quick? Okay. Right. So, um, whatever Dr. Jalil said was, you know, very beautifully said. And one thing that came to my mind is that when Allah, he he says, uh, in the Qur'an وَتَعْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْحَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ So Allah says that you are the best nation produced as an example for mankind You enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong And this, you know, this ayah comes to my mind Especially in this time of crisis <coughs> Like Dr. Jalil is saying, you know We have to be the leaders today We have to be like Abu Bakr and Umar anhu today And we are the best nation, you know that Allah has made us the best nation for mankind we have to set an example for everyone else. And that's something that we should remember,
2: inshallah. We do have some questions here that we could get to. Uh, The first question, um, and this could be for... uh, I
4: I, I can help answer that.
2: All right, go ahead. The first question we have is, uh, is COVID-19 virus for old people or young... Or does it discriminate between any young people, old people?
4: So okay, so generally, from the statistics we have, from the initial statistics from China, it was looking like um, the virus was mainly only affecting the elderly and the immunocompromised, those that have underlying conditions most most severely. However, as like the virus started moving moving outwards, um, especially in Italy, and then from the data in U.S. that 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 we that the medical experts have provided. Um, more and more younger people are being severely are also falling severely ill from this. And actually, just uh, just yesterday, I was watching I was watching the news, and the U.S. reported its first um, infant death. And you know, although there was um, some sort of underlying disease, this is to show us <clears throat> this is to show us that none of us are really safe. And you know, um, I believe it was Hayan that mentioned um, that you know uh, that just because the data uh, appears that we're not most severely falling ill we still are carriers of the virus. We can still go give it home. Uh, we can bring it home from outside and you know, give it to grandma, grandpa, or, or our, our, our sick like um, elderly. Um, so it's, although just the data supports it's most severely affecting the elderly, we shouldn't take it lightly. And, you know, that's all I have to offer.
2: Exactly. Um, and to our second question, I want to give this one to Dr. Jadid. Uh, how would riots uh, be handled in Islam if there was an unfair distribution of law, similar to what we are seeing in some parts of the world today. Dr. Jaleed?
1: Yes, I was trying to type that in the box so fast. <laughs> Y'all, pardon my typo at the end. Uh, in short, you don't prevent a riot by waiting until people riot and then bring a police force or law enforcement. You prevent a riot by building the proper aqidah. So that'll help us in two levels. One is even if you're hungry, even if you need things, even if you're desperate, you won't take anything that's not yours nor destroy anyone else's property because you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So taqwa really is a prevention here. And if you look at the time of Rasulullah and throughout periods of history, when Muslims were suffering or when they need things, they didn't attack each other, they didn't steal things from each other. Actually, the the overwhelming majority of cases, they suffered together. And they suffered together because they all believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they said, who shared a sacrifice. So there also wasn't an uneven balance in the distribution of resources because no one was keeping things and hoarding things for themselves. So there was no place to riot to. Uh, secondly, if it happens under Islam, we have enough people who will either be moved by the Aqidah, who won't steal in the first place, or those who uh, get desperate and lose control there's themselves. There's uh, about if it's a overall famine Uh, and a person is really actually desperate and they're unable to access resources, there's certain forgiveness. But the scale of the rioting that happens like under capitalism, where in one second, if I don't get what I need, I'm going to steal it. Or if you have it, I'll steal it from you. Or if we both don't have it, we'll go attack a store. Those are things that the Akita is the only one which will clean up. Because in this society, they tell you it's only a crime if you get caught. And me, myself, and I. So what else would we expect people to do when they're desperate, except take that, especially when there's been a state example of taking what's not yours. It's a whole big layer of US history. So what else would we expect? So Islam a- has a completely different solution. I'm sorry.
2: All right, DizakAllah uh, here, Dr. Jaleed. Uh, and to our third question, uh, I'll give this one to Hayan. Uh, so the question states the panel discuss how the system of Islam will deal with different aspects of life, uh, be them economical, social, etc. But How do we convince people when they say, "quote yeah, but we don't, we do not have the Islamic system, unquote.
0: All right, so um, that's a great question. And um, what we have to do is, you know, we have to search Islam for the answers, right? Whenever we come across these types of questions. And today it's very clear that we do not have any sort of Islamic system where we can, you know, have all of these things sorted out in a proper manner, like you just said. Um, So when we look back in Islam, did the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did he have the system of Islam the first day, you know, he was a prophet? Of course not, you know, he was. In mecca and he was striving for islam for years right and that's what we have to do that's our responsibility he is our example the best example and we have to follow his footsteps you know we can't settle for less just like the prophet he never settled for less he settled for 100 percent of islam not 99.99 percent not you know it was complete islam when he went to the uh, tribes when he asked for their you know support from those tribes they put certain conditions on him like when you die will you give us the power back or for example They went to a tribe and they said that, you know, okay, we'll give you the power, but um, we're not going to fight the Persians. You know, it's things like this. And the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't, you know, accept it because he was searching for 100% Islam. And he did this and continuously. And there was was a tough time for the Prophet and the Sahabas. They struggled a lot, you know, they went through lots of trials and tribulations in Mecca. But, you know, when they, you know, they kept their trust in Allah Jalla. eventually Allah granted them victory in Medina. And that's, you know, that's a reminder for us that victory is near. Victory is um, coming soon. All we have to do is follow the example of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We have to be patient. We have to strive for the haqq. And inshallah, Allah will bless us soon.
2: Inshallah, I mean. Um, I just I mean. want to give a quick reminder that we have 10 minutes left. So we'll get in as many questions as we can. And then inshallah, we will. Uh, end it off but with our fourth question uh i'll give this one to malik uh during this time uh what are the steps we could take to get closer to allah so uh
3: this kind of refers to like the question we were talking about how to schedule your day so how would i recommend it is mm-hmm. that things that as youth we're not really told to uh, go sit down and study. And it's not really appealing to us to go study for like four, five, six, seven hours to study Islam, to keep on reading Quran and stuff like that. But like if you divide up your day and try to put like four hours in, but at different times, let's say when you wake up, you read Quran for like an hour. And then after that, you go read books about the seerah, you read books about the prophethood. And you, so you learn what what Prophet Muhammad did, and then you implement that into your life. Or you like Hayyan said about uh, reading tafsirs, so that, um, like reading tafsirs and understanding what you're actually reading during salah, and then also learning what am I like, trying to think about, what am I supposed to do? Read books about the Islamic state, about stuff like this. That's how you can like get closer to Allah Taala, and like since you're like already at home. Spend time with your family, have Jum'ah together Or like what you can do is that During your Salah itself, try to perfect it Do your five pillars, try to perfect them even more And also focus on what's like Beyond the five pillars of Islam as well Try to, the things that you would notice That you've been lacking on Try to perfect those as well That's what also get you to Allah Wa Ta-A'la, closer to Allah Wa Ta-A'la. Yeah, Thank
2: that's it No, 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 good All right, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I'll go back to what Hodefa said too, um, about just doing the small stuff too, like we have so much time on our hands now, so, you know, making time to, uh, you know, read extra Qur'an, spend time with your family, uh, read up on books and stuff like that, so there's a lot of things that you could do uh, with that time off, Uh, it's just a matter of probably, uh, you know, schedule our time. Uh, We have one more question um and the question can be well I, i'll give this question to anybody but the question states a moral discussion is being held about whether old people should be left to die as they are high risk compared to the young uh to, compared to the young plus the young have higher survival chance how does islam view this uh dr jalil you could go ahead and answer this one
1: I think that in any situation, you will have to make decisions about clinical care. And I'm speaking as a healthcare provider, also someone who works in a hospital. Um, Triaging is a reality. However, it is very sinful if you actually have the resources and choose not as a country or a business to provide them because you view the older people as too expensive. You understand? So... We should not even be having this conversation. If you have trillions of dollars to bail out businesses, that is a false choice to say, I'll decide which people I'm going to save because actually you should use your full range of state resources to take care of the people. So you shouldn't put the local doctors and local hospitals and even the state uh, healthcare administration in a position where they're having to make these choices so from a solid perspective, this is all wrong. Now. If you've properly distributed the resources and you're responding to something which overwhelms the infrastructure you have set up, which can happen to anyone, because there was even droughts and other illnesses uh, during the time of Rasulullah, then you can make decisions about how to provide care to the widest range possible, which may or may not be based on age. So for example, you may have a very valuable or, influential person who's helpful in keeping the affairs of the Ummah in a good place who just happens to be older. You may have uh, young people who have a lot of chronic health conditions where it looks like they're in a very sickly state anyway. Those are decisions which can be taken as a state, but the state should decide it based on resources, not based on a discrepancy or an unfair distribution of resources like what's happening now. Um, So this is really a false choice, which is being offered. That being said, I would like to pass it over to you all to say, what do you think about if someone was to approach you and say, well, you get to choose either your parent who's middle-aged or your grandparent who's very old, how would that strike you as a person, particularly if you knew as a country you had enough resources? Because that's the issue today. We have enough resources. We're not using them and distributing them properly.
3: Well, I kind of think this kind of links to the uh, last question that we were talking about, how capitalism is the cause <laughs> of like this these problems. Like as you were saying, that they have all this money and things that they're not properly distributing that wealth. As one I, I said, one of the principles of Islam is that you're able to distribute the wealth. So when if a person came up to me and told me to choose between my grandparents and my father, I was like, what's the real issue behind this? The government has the resources for this. And as you said before, like, let's say, for example, we were in a situation where we didn't have resources, then yes, you have to, the government needs to choose the best decision. But we clearly see that you have the billion dollar bailouts and stuff like that. So there's resources, there's enough resources to take care of this. And just that this capitalist system is so flawed that it actually, like, they give you this question, that this question actually arises.
0: <laughs> right. Um, just so I can add a little bit to this is, um, you guys, what you guys said is perfectly fine. And, um, we are in a situation where we do have enough resources, but hypothetically, if we are put into that situation where we don't, um, something that just comes to my mind is that, um, from an ideological or an Aqidah perspective, right? Um, death can come to anyone. Allah has written a certain time for us, whether we're old, whether we're young, someone could pass away right now. Someone could pass away, you know, whenever, right? And I think that's an important um, point for us to understand, you know, so we, we still have the obligation of taking care of, you know, people that are suffering. It's not you only take care of the old that are suffering, or you only take care of people that are young that are suffering since they have more life to live on average. You know, we are, you know, we have to help the people that are suffering regardless of who they are. And death is from Allah. We leave that to Allah. You know, we don't, we can't predict that. We can't play with that. We leave that in the hands of Allah. And we do. What is um, our responsibility, you know? this is my perspective on there.
2: Thank you, Hayyam. JazakAllah, and to everybody, uh, I want to thank you guys for your contributions and taking your time uh, to do this uh, with all of us, inshallah. Uh, we all get a reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for doing this. I mean, uh, and to I mean, I mean. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Please visit deanone.com uh, to learn more about us, as well as share this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And just due to the fact that you know what we're going through is such a big thing, um, you know we want to ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to alleviate whatever we're going through and these uh, difficulties that people in our community are going through. So I want to ask Malik to uh, end us off with a dua. Inshallah.
3: Okay, inshallah <clears throat> Bismillah. Rahman. I ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to forgive our sins. I ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to protect us from this pandemic and the entire Muslim ummah from this pandemic. I Taala to give shifa for the sick from the Ummah of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I ask Allah Ta'ala to give us patience, give patience to the sick ones and their families. I ask Allah to use us for his deen and not to replace us. I ask Allah to guide us to the correct understanding of the deen and to act upon it. And I ask Allah to bless our Ummah and attain Jannah, inshaAllah. alamin.
2: Assalamualaikum.
3: Assalamualaikum.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and Sirah are available at IslamPodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe.